Let me ask you to turn your attention now to Luke chapter 21. If you'd please stand as I read aloud. You'll notice from the get-go, this is a complicated passage. So we have a complex passage from the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 24. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you're not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Would you please be seated and would you join me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, We come before you this morning, we ask our Lord and our God that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask that you would open our hearts, that this complex passage would be made more clear to us, and that as we read and understand, you would show us what this means for us, you would show us more of your mercy and your grace, you would show us more of the beauty of righteousness and the sinfulness of sin, and that you would use this to glorify yourself, our God and our King. We thank you for these words of the Lord Jesus. We ask that you would work by your Spirit here this morning. 
It is in your name we pray all these things. Amen. This morning, as we begin looking at Luke chapter 21, this passage is a passage that uh, we find in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 13 and Matthew chapter 24. And it's a passage that is an often debated passage. So I want to say two things as we begin looking at the text. First of all, let me suggest to you that there are no experts on this material, okay? This we might call apocalyptic literature. There are no experts, and what I mean by that is these words of Christ coupled together with some of the other apocalyptic texts are intentionally mysterious. Part of that is God developing our faith in Him, Part of it is the nature of speaking about future events. It is very similar to the words of the prophets in the Old Testament. So let me say this morning, if you say, uh, first of all, I've never heard the things that pastor was speaking about this morning, or I disagree with the things the pastor said this morning, let me encourage you, let's have a conversation. Okay? These things ought not divide us. They are designed, though, to exhort and encourage us. And the flip side of that is also true. Another danger that we have is to simply avoid passages like this. We're reading through the gospel, we get to chapter 21, and we say, well, let's just go to chapter 22. 21 is a little too complicated, okay? And I think in response to that, there's a very challenging line that appears not in Luke 21, but in the correlative passages in Mark 13 and in Matthew 24. When when Matthew and Mark record the words of Jesus here, and Jesus speaks about the abomination of desolation as He does here later in this passage in verse 20. In Matthew and Mark, they record these words, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, okay? It's the only time Matthew and Mark record those words, let the reader understand. I find it ironic and challenging that this imperative command comes in the midst of one of the most hard-to-understand passages in all of the Bible. As Jesus shares these very complex words, we have recorded here a command to understand. Let the reader understand. So that's what we're doing this morning. It's the title of the sermon you'll note in your bulletin. It is our intention to look at Luke chapter 21 and to understand, for we have been commanded to comprehend the words of Christ, both for our good and for His glory. And so that's what we'll be doing this morning. As we begin looking at this passage, I have to say that the first point I provided you, I think, is the first most important point for understanding Luke chapter 21, and that is that this entire conversation, this entire chapter is framed by a question and an answer. By a question and an answer. And I would suggest to you that most of the misunderstandings concerning these words from Christ have to do with the fact that we fail to acknowledge that there's a question here. And that all of Jesus' words in Luke 21 are an answer to the question that is asked at the beginning of this passage. Let's take a look at the question. 
Beginning in verse 5, it says, While uh, some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now, Luke doesn't give the context for the conversation, but we know from the Gospel of Matthew, very simple what's happening here in the passage. Jesus and the disciples are leaving Jerusalem now. They had just arrived a few days earlier. They are heading out, and it's as if they turn to look at the temple on their way out of Jerusalem, and the disciples are in awe. They stand back and they say, wow, look at it. The temple, isn't that beautiful? And as they marvel, Jesus said, yeah, look at the temple, because the time is coming when the temple will be destroyed. Not one stone will sit upon another. Matthew says that after they make this observation, they make their way to the Mount of Olives, and so this is often called the Olivet Discourse, the Olivet Discourse. You've probably heard that before. And as they make their way to the Mount of Olives, it says in Luke, and they asked him this question, teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign, and when these things are about to take place? It's interesting because Luke says they asked him a question. Matthew says the disciples asked him a question. Mark says Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him a question. So we see in this context a very specific question from a very specific group of people. It is told to us in Matthew as if this is a very private conversation that is happening on the Mount of Olives. Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked Jesus this question in response to what He had just told them concerning the temple. They say, when will these things happen and, and what will be the signs of these things? Okay? And so for us to understand the words of Christ in Luke chapter 21, we have to understand this. Luke 21 is a specific answer to a specific question from a specific group of people. That, in and of itself, will begin to frame the way we understand the answer. It will likely begin to change the way you've understood these things in the past, maybe that you've been taught, okay? So that would be the question and the answer that frames this passage. Now, I think it's important that we keep that question at the forefront of our mind. So we are dealing this morning with the question of when and what are the signs? Everything that we look at this week and next week in Luke chapter 21 is simply an answer to these questions. And so, let me tell you what we're not reading this morning. The disciples didn't ask what will happen or how will it happen or where will it happen or to whom will it happen, okay? Some of that we can find in Jesus' answer, but they asked when and what are the signs. So what should we expect? As we're reading Jesus' answer, we should expect lots of when phrases, like before and after and in between and a little while. Okay, those are the things that we're going to pick up on as we read this passage. Now let me say, I think, as we think about understanding this text, it would be helpful to draw a timeline. 
I know as I mentioned the words timeline, you're probably getting skittish already, okay? Timeline, like, brings back maybe some traumatic experience. You have apocalyptic literature and timelines. We start talking about bulls and horsemen. We're not, okay? A timeline simply to understand the things that, that, that Jesus is saying, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage together. We're going to lay out what we hear Jesus saying. And then at the end, we're going to say, okay, what, what's, the, what's the meaning of this? Okay? Because the words of Christ are, are given to, to answer this question, and, and they, are, um, they are to be understood according to this context. They're very helpful once we understand why He is saying what He is saying. So let's just begin. We're going to jump into this, go line by line, and we'll talk about it as we go. When the disciples asked Jesus the question, here's what He begins by saying, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in My name, saying, I am He, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Okay, so let me tell you what I heard. I heard at least two signs, all right, Jesus answering the sign question, and I heard at least one when answer. So let's just begin to write those down. First of all, I heard a sign that had to do with a false narrative. Okay, that's what I'll call it, a false narrative. That's when Jesus said, you're going you're to hear people saying, I am He. And come on, and he said, don't go out and follow them. Okay, that's the false narrative. You're going to hear false narratives. You will also hear of uh, wars. I think the NIV says wars and rumors of wars. I think the ESV said wars and tumults. The words in Greek actually mean fighting and chaos, okay? So I'll just put wars and chaos. And it's a, that word for chaos, it's a real chaotic word. I mean, it's extreme chaos, Okay? Wars and rumors of wars, wars and chaos, false narratives. And then the when word that Jesus uses. Did you pick up on the when word? He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Now, the actual rendering of that means the end will not be soon. It will not be immediate. So let me tell you, Jesus speaks about an end. I'm just going to put the end over here somewhere. All right, and he says these things will take place. The end will not be immediate. It will not be soon. It will not happen right away. And I know you're sitting there scratching your head. You're saying, well, the end of what? Is he talking about the end of the world? Is he talking about the, the end of the life of the apostles? The end of what? And here's what we're going to do. We're putting a pin in all these things. We're coming back to them, okay? But Jesus says the end will not be at once. It will not be immediate, okay? Okay, so we're, we're filling out our timeline. Let's keep reading. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Let's stop there, okay? I think we have other signs, right? Not many when words, but lots of other signs. Let me just write a few of them down. We've got nation against nation. I don't know how to make an against sign. I'll put an X. Nation against nation. Okay, we've got famines. And we have earthquakes. And we have pestilence. I'm not going to keep writing. You see the things printed there, okay, in verses 10 through 12. These are more signs that Jesus is speaking about, okay? And he's speaking about these events happening sometime before the end. The end is not immediate. The end will not soon happen. Now listen to what he says in verse 12. We get another pivot, another when word, all right? In verse 12 he says, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, 
Let's, let's read all that in a second, but let me ask you, did you catch the when word? Yeah, the, the when word. We've got lots of when words. The when question is asked. Jesus will give lots of when answers. The one answer that he gives in verse 12 is he says, but before. Okay? Before all of this, something is going to happen. And here's what he says. Before all of this, what will happen? They will lay their hands on you. And they will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Okay, so what does Jesus essentially say will happen before? There's a lot of negative things, right? Like there is dying and persecution, all right? And there's the betrayal that's involved with brothers and parents. But there are positive things as well, right? What does Jesus say? He says that when you appear before councils and kings and synagogues, don't be worried about what you'll say. Okay, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say, and they will not be able to withstand. Okay, so there is the, the message that will be proclaimed, and at the end here, Jesus speaks about endurance. That is to say, not a hair will fall from their head, apart from the providence and care of their Father in heaven, and if they endure to the end, uh, they will receive the reward. That's what we read in the last verse there in verse 19. Okay, so we're, we're fleshing out our timeline. Now, what we're going to do, you're probably saying, okay, well, when, when does that happen? I'm going to put another star next to it because you're going to put a pin in it. Okay, we're going to talk about this in a second. Let me tell you something, though. It's important to recognize as Jesus speaks throughout this entire passage, he's always using the you, second person, uh, second person, uh, present second person. That is, that's a he or a she. It's not you all, the third person, not like all of y'all. It is a very specific you, and that is to say, Peter, James, John, and Andrew have asked a question. Jesus now speaks to them about events that will affect them. That's going to be a, a big part of understanding the passage, okay? Let's keep reading. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know its desolation has come near. Pause again. Rewind, okay? Remember the question comes in response to an observation about the temple. What was the observation? The temple would be destroyed, okay? Not a stone will be on another stone here. It will all be destroyed. Jesus has said this before, okay? When we begin reading in verse 20, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know its desolation has come near. This is Jesus again picking up on this event. Let me, let me put it over here, okay? I think it's clear as we read this passage that this event that Jesus calls here the desolation which is the destruction of the temple, most importantly, happens after these events, likely before what Jesus describes as the end, okay? Now, in Matthew and Mark's gospel, they don't call it just the desolation. You remember what they call it? The abomination of desolation, right? The abomination of desolation. And Matthew says, when the abomination of desolation happens, and he takes his place in the most holy place, remember we read that earlier, 
Then you will know. That's where he says, let the reader understand. And he says, for this was spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Okay, you remember that. So let's write that down. The abomination of desolation, Matthew says, is from Daniel. It's specifically from Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, the prophet Daniel's looking ahead and he begins talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And he speaks about at least three things there that are important. That Jerusalem would be destroyed. That the walls would be leveled. That the people would be taken away. That the temple itself would be destroyed. And then Daniel says the real kicker here. The the real issue with this abomination of desolation, which means an ungodly devastation, the real issue was in Daniel 9 that ungodly sacrifices would be offered on the altar in the temple. Okay, So those are three things in Daniel 9 having to do with the abomination of desolation. It's the very thing that Jesus speaks of here. His hearers would have said, yeah, Daniel prophesied that. It's exactly what you're talking about. Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies... Then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Okay? So let me, we're almost done observing here, and then we'll make some conclusions, but let me just point out something. A big part of what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 21 is that he is warning the disciples who have asked the question, he is warning them about this moment. Did you hear that? Okay? He is essentially telling them when you begin to see these things taking place, that's when you know, flee the city. Don't come back in. Evacuate. Get out of town. You don't want to be here when the abomination of desolation in the temple, as Daniel predicted in chapter 9, you don't want to be here when that happens. Okay? Let me just add one more time phrase. Okay? So we got before, we've got the after and the, and the during. Um, in Matthew and Mark, their record of this uh, Olivet Discourse is 99% the same. They add one phrase that's different. Uh, they say that all of this, uh, you'll probably remember this, all of this is the beginning of the birth pangs. You remember that? Maybe you do. The beginning of the birth pangs or the birth pains, okay? That is to say it is the beginning of this process. All of this is the beginning of this process. Now, as I was writing these things down, this is what I wrote here. I almost want to ask if there are any questions so far. But then I didn't want to risk throwing everything into utter chaos. So I said, that sounds, it seems like a point where we should ask for questions, but we're not going to ask for questions, okay? Um, so far, all we have done is recorded the things that we have read. We have seen answers to when questions, We have seen some of the signs that the apostles were asking Jesus for, and now we've put together for ourselves a little bit of a picture map of what's being spoken of in Luke 21. Next week, we'll get to that second half of this passage, but 
let's talk about this for a second. Let's, let's begin to look at this, and, and let's begin with these things that Jesus says will happen beforehand. This morning, I'm going to tell you, I believe that all of this happens in the first century. I believe this all came to pass in the life of the apostles and those in the first century church, but I'll talk to you about why, and then we'll talk about what this means for us, okay? Jesus, in speaking in the second person, answering the question of Peter, James, John, and Andrew, says to them, you will experience dying and persecution and betrayal by mother and father. Uh, You will proclaim the message. You don't have to meditate it uh, beforehand, upon it beforehand. But you will be given the words to say, and if you endure to the end, you will receive the reward. Okay? As you look at Jesus' specific words to the apostles in answer to their question of when these things will happen, you begin to see and you say, oh yeah, of course, those things happen to the apostles. Let me just tell you, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, the four guys who asked the question, you know what happened to those four guys? Everything that Jesus said would happen, right? Let's begin with James, Acts chapter 12, what happens to James? He's beheaded, okay? This is the, in the book of Acts. This is early in the, the life of the church. James is beheaded, all right? We look at John. We know how with John. He was exiled on the island of Patmos, okay? He suffered persecution and betrayal. Peter, and who am I missing? Andrew. Peter and Andrew were crucified in the early 60s. Peter upside down, you know, so history says, and Andrew was crucified upright, but they were both crucified, okay? All of the words that Jesus speaks about, these things that will happen to them before all of this, come to pass in the life of Peter, James, John, and Andrew. This is more of a coincidence. It's more than a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. It is the prophetic word of Christ answering a specific question from four apostles. Now, we could, we could even say this begins to apply to all the apostles and the disciples and the early church, for all of them, in a way, began to face this persecution, Right? I can't read this passage without envisioning in my mind the events that happened to Stephen in Acts chapter 7. You remember Stephen, right? This sounds like the exact description of what happens to Stephen. They stone him, and he's there speaking words, and you're like, man, Stephen, wow. But the words weren't his. They were given by the Holy Spirit. And as he's speaking, he looks into heaven, and he sees the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's like, that's exactly what Jesus is describing as he begins to answer the question to his disciples about when these things will happen and what will be the signs of the time. So we see then a beginning of understanding of Jesus' answer. Now as we continue looking at this passage, I think the, the, the next thing that we look at and we, we have to begin to talk about is the, the abomination of desolation, the destruction of the temple, Okay? I think when we read all of these signs, you know, I'll tell you, I, when I was reading this passage to my kids, and I, we were talking about wars and rumors of wars and nation rising against nation, my kids said, well, that's like what's happening right now, right? It, it feels like that, and I think we can be inclined to feel like that. We can say, well, yeah, it, it feels like the end times, and so we can begin to look at this passage and think, you know, is Jesus speaking about us? But Part of that is a failure to acknowledge what actually happened to the church in the 60s and 70s. I think if we understand historically what was happening to the people that Jesus was answering, we realize that their situation was very different than even ours, okay? Because what was happening in the 60s? Well, let me remind you, Nero was the emperor in the early 60s, and Nero began uh, persecuting the Christians, but also the Jews, okay, both at the same time. And Nero is going through this process of having wars 
with not only the, the Jews and the Palestinians, but everyone in the region. And so from the time of like 60 AD to 64 AD, we have wars and rumors of wars. And if you want to read this, you can read this in the historian Josephus, you will find that it's nothing like what we're experiencing today, okay? It was terrible. Josephus says at one point he witnessed in Israel there was a starvation going on because of a siege around the city, and he witnessed mothers who were consuming their children, okay? because they were so starved and hungry. Absolutely terrible, the things that Josephus described, all right? Nero dies, and then there's three emperors that become king, one after the other, very quickly in succession. In 66 and 67 and 68, they become emperor, they die, they become emperor, they die. It's not a very good thing. But then Vespasian becomes the emperor in 68 AD, and Vespasian and his son Titus make a plan for themselves to take care of Israel, all right? So they're going to take care of Israel. And over the course of 69 and 70 AD, Vespasian and Titus, they surround, well, Titus especially, they surround the city of Jerusalem. They lay waste to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all right? Josephus, who I just described to you, the historian, was a military general in Israel, who was captured by the Romans, and then he becomes a, an ally with the Romans, okay? So we know he was involved in both sides of the, of the party, and he records these events, okay? They surround Jerusalem eventually. They destroy the city, and then they enter into the temple. And they, they eventually level the temple, but before they do that, let me read to you how Josephus describes this, and let me ask you if this does not sound like the abomination of desolation. He says, as the legions charged in, neither persuasion nor threat could check their impetuosity. Passion alone was in command. Crowded together around the entrances, many were trampled by their friends. Many fell among the still hot and smoking ruins of the colonnades and died as miserably as the defeated. As they neared the sanctuary, they pretended not even to hear Caesar's commands, and they urged the men in front to throw in more firebrands. The partisans were no longer in a position to help. Everywhere was slaughter and flight. Most of the victims were peaceful citizens, weak and unarmed, butchered wherever they were caught. Round the altar, the heaps of corpses grew higher and higher, while down the sanctuary steps poured a river of blood and the bodies of those killed at the top came down to the bottom. Josephus is not a Christian. He's not a follower of Christ. He has no vested interest in trying to fit Jesus' words into the course of history. He simply described what he saw with his eyes, right? And did you pick up on it? The, the temple is being destroyed and the, bio, the bodies are piling up and literally ungodly sacrifices are being made on the altar. This is the people of God. The Israel of God being sacrificed on the altar as the temple is leveled and the people are carried away or killed. Okay? I think as, as these events unfold, we see a very clear fulfillment of the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples in answer to this question. In 70 AD, as Titus invades the city of Jerusalem, 1.1 million Jews were killed. 1.1 million, Josephus says. Okay? Many Jews call it the first Holocaust. 
It was a terribly tragic event. And let me tell you what happened. What happened in the midst of all these events. As the temple's being destroyed and the Romans are invading Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Israel, the broader Israel, was being conquered. And when the people in Israel began to sense this was happening, it was around the time of the Passover, all of the Jews made their way to the city, to Jerusalem. And that's what you did during this time. You went to the fortified city, and they all began to come to the city and shut themselves up in the city of Jerusalem. It has walls, right? They can be protected. Here's where we go, where we can be safe. But do you know what happened? The Christians who heard these words, right? History tells us. The Christians who heard these words in 70 AD, they fled to the countryside. They made their way out of the city. They were dispersed into all the world. There were, as Josephus describes it, as far as we can understand, there were very few Christians in the city of Jerusalem when Titus invades and kills the Jews in 70 AD. And and among the great things that happens because of this is the spreading of the gospel to all of the nations. For as Israel is being defeated and the Jews are being conquered in Jerusalem, the Christians are being dispersed to all the nations. And they're fleeing to Greece and to Macedonia and to the eastern regions. And they're going out, okay? If you want to look back on church history and say, why does the church explode after the first century? Why does the gospel spread so rapidly? Why is Rome evangelized by the 200? So this is a big part of understanding the growth of the early church. It is the events that happen in 70 AD. So let me just say, I firmly believe what Jesus speaks about happens in 70 AD. The abomination of desolation is described in Daniel chapter 9. And that this warning that Christ gives to his apostles was a very effective warning. That he told Peter, James, John, and Andrew that these words were written down, that they were spread in the churches, that Christians began to hear the warning of Christ. They looked for the signs of the times, and they said, as they witnessed Nero and then Vespasian and Titus, they said, wow, these are the things that Christ spoke about. And they began to, saw, uh, to see that the city of Jerusalem was about to fall, the temple to be destroyed, and they fled from the city. All that Christ predicted and prophesied came true. Let me tell you then, this will kind of propel us into next week. If we understand what Jesus means by the things that happened before Peter, James, John, Andrew, and the disciples, we understand the context for the signs of the time, and we understand the, de- the abomination of desolation of the temple, then there's still a question of what does this mean? The end is not yet. The end is not near. The end is not immediate. I think when Jesus speaks about the end, I don't think he's speaking about the end of time. I don't think he's sharing words and then looking ahead thousands of years and mixing that into the message. I really do believe he's speaking about the end of the Jewish age. I think he's speaking about the end that Elijah and Ezekiel prophesied about. Remember when they they said they saw the Spirit of God leaving the temple? They saw that the destruction of Israel would happen and that God would leave his people. I think that Jesus is speaking about that end, okay? The temple's destroyed. The Jews are massacred. The Christians flee. And we see this transition then, okay? And I know there's different parts of that. You say, okay, what, 
you know, when exactly did God's Spirit leave and how exactly does that play out? And I don't know the answers to all of that. But I do believe that's what Jesus is speaking about. And I believe that partly because of what he said at the end of the passage. He said in verse 24, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. I think as, as Christ is sharing this message with his disciples, I think he's looking ahead to the time when the gospel would go forward to the nations. And I think that's what he means when he says the time of the, gospel, uh, of the Gentiles would be fulfilled. Old Testament prophets had long looked forward to this moment when the gospel would come to the heathen, okay? when it would come to the nations, when God would welcome peoples from all around the world into his family. And I believe as Jesus speaks about the when and the signs, he's looking forward to this time. And you know what then? In the midst of these warnings, of these terrible events that would come to pass, we have this beautiful promise which now includes us, okay? This is what Paul spoke about. He, he, he talked about the time of the Gentiles, the time of their coming in when it would be fulfilled in his letter to the Romans, okay? This now includes us. For as Christ warned of these coming events and gave encouragement to his followers to be careful and to flee and to faithfully endure and to proclaim the word, he now looks forward to a time when you and I would be brought in. And he says that the trampling of Jerusalem, the decimation of the city, that this would continue until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Ultimately, it looks forward to a beautiful new creation. Okay? And until that time is the time of the Gentiles, when you and I, not by blood, not by our heritage or ethnicity, but by the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, having reconciled us to God the Father, welcomes us in, not because of who we are and not because of what we've done, but because the Father has so loved us and has made a way that us who were enemies of God might be brought in to the family of God for His glory and for our good. So as we look at the words of Christ in Luke 21, and as we think about looking here next week, let's remember that this also involves us. A beautiful promise of things to come through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we ask that you would be merciful to us, that you would bless us and keep us, that you would open again the eyes of our hearts, you would give us ears to hear, that your word might penetrate deep and by the work of your spirit, you might sanctify us and make us more like your son. For your glory we ask all of this in his name. Amen.